We are in Ephesians chapter 6 today, and we're turning our attention to a text that addresses children and parents, uh, family relationships. The title of the sermon today is The Gospel Changes Family. Uh, Frederick Douglass said that it's better to bring up strong children than try and repair broken men. Charles Spurgeon, the prince of preachers in the 1800s, said, if we never have headaches through raising our children, we shall have plenty of heartaches when they grow up. Now, there are many great parenting books. There's lots of great parenting advice out there. But parenting isn't about having the right tools. It is about us being transformed by the love of God. It's not about having good ideas. It's about dispensing God's grace. Our passage today is the first four verses in Ephesians chapter 6. The Apostle Paul, writing to the church in Ephesus, says, Children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord. For this is the right thing to do. Honor your father and your mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. If you honor your father and your mother, things will go well for you and you will have a long life on the earth. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way that you treat them. Rather, bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. This is the word of the Lord for his church this morning. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you, God, for your incredible, intentional, purposeful, and powerful love for us in Jesus. God, we declare today that we can't truly understand these things or apply these things or grow in these things without power and help from the Holy Spirit. So we ask you, God, to teach us. Holy Spirit, instruct us today. Help us, Lord, to grow and respond to your living word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we've been in the book of Ephesians for two years. Uh, the, two years, right? It's, it's hard to imagine other good things in life that you've done for two years, right? Uh, the, the first section of Ephesians focused on the amazing things that God has done for us in Jesus, right? That we're well-loved, that we are chosen, that we're adopted by God. And that first section of our study was entitled Kingdom Kids, that we are the kingdom kids of God. And then next, Paul shifts gears and he transitions in this letter to explain how God brings us all together into the family of God, that we are the kingdom family of God. We have the love of God in us, we get to experience the love of God flow out of us. And Paul encourages us now in this final section of Ephesians to be filled with the spirit. That kingdom family is a spirit-filled family. And as the kingdom family of God, we now live differently than we once lived. The love of God changes us. It changes our relationship with God. And the love of God changes our relationship with one another. Our new life is now lived in response to the love of God in Jesus. We are saved by the gospel and we are changed by the gospel. Now in Ephesians chapter five, we've seen how the gospel affects and directs this new life as a part of God's kingdom family. In fact, we've taken two weeks recently, Dom and Emily taught on marriage. And today's passage applies the gospel to children and parents. The whole family gets an overhaul by the love of God. God is not just creating a new family for himself. 
He is also making our families brand new. The gospel changes families. And as we live under the influence of the Holy Spirit, he changes our most intimate relationships, not just in the church, but also in our homes. And the theme here in this last part of Ephesians as he's talking about family relationships is the best way to transform your marriage. And today we'll see the best way to transform your parent-child relationships, the best way to honor your parents, maybe your aging parents, is to be first transformed by Jesus, understanding what Jesus has done and making us dead people who were once spiritually dead alive now in Christ. Jesus changes the way we relate to our spouse our parents, and our children. The gospel changes family. This is our topic today. Now, I I need to pause here for a moment and set some appropriate expectations uh, for this sermon. I've been asked to exegete this text, right, to study it and to preach the text that is before us today. Okay, I'm not doing a a multi-part series on parenting, okay? You can't do that in 30 minutes. I've read more than a dozen parenting books. I have five children, okay? But on the other side of the ledger, I'm acutely aware of the many ways that I have failed as a parent. So I'm not here to tell you what I've learned about parenting. We're here to examine what the Lord tells us and shows us and grows us as parents, as part of his kingdom family. And he does that in this passage by showing us three ways that the gospel addresses family relationships, First, the gospel uncovers wrong ideas about parenting. Second, the gospel transforms and shapes children. And third, the gospel transforms and shapes parents. So let's jump right into that first point. The gospel uncovers our wrong ideas about parenting. Now, there are people that breeze over passages like this. Like, why would I want to read a passage that was written in the first century about parenting? So much has changed. But when we look at this passage, honestly, we see that not only is Paul addressing his culture in the first century, but his words are both timely for parents and powerful for children as well today in 2020. For example, let's talk about some of the social issues that Paul is speaking into back in the first century. In that day, the rights of fathers, really the rights of men in general, were staggering. Men had a lot of rights. And having children meant that they were risking the sacrifice of some of those rights. Children tied a man down in a lot of ways, right? Not unlike what you hear in our culture today. But back then, kids were considered a nuisance. In fact, there were no social accommodations for young children. That meant also that kids were expensive. You had to provide for their care 24 hours a day outside of any kind of organized social system. So you were hiring people and sending them to private schools. And and under Roman law, fathers were responsible for their kids, even if they were to try and get a divorce. So it made divorce very difficult. And back in ancient Rome, divorce was super popular. Guys didn't want to, like, run the risk of not being able to divorce their wife. So as a result, many in that day did not want children. They were an unnecessary burden to many people. But even when a man did have children, the father's rights were almost unlimited. A father could sell his kid as slaves. He could punish his child however he liked. At birth, he would decide whether he would keep the child or the child would be cast out. Sometimes they were cast out and left for dead. Sometimes they were cast out and raised by people that that were in the slave trade or were running brothels. 
Paul says in our passage today that fathers have a sacred responsibility to their children. Paul comes along and he elevates the value of children in an extraordinary way. He completely flips culture's views on children, turning them upside down. And he does it exactly how Jesus did it. You'll recall a story when Jesus is teaching and young children come running up to him and the disciples try to shoo them away. And Jesus says, no. And he calls the children to himself in a very public display, allowing children to come to him. He, he views them as a blessing. He says that they are valuable. In fact, Jesus warned that it would be better to hop into the sea with a large millstone tied around your neck and drown rather than to cause a child to stumble. In his ministry, he took it a step further, and he says that his followers have to become like children themselves, have a childlike faith. The gospel revolutionizes and revalues childhood and parent-child relationships, putting a high value on them. Now, today we, may, we like to feel like we've progressed, right? We're a progressive culture. It's 2020, right? Our modern culture has a different view on children, and some of us might scoff at the first century's barbaric way that they thought about and treated children, but we should be very careful because I would argue that the same thought patterns about children exist in our culture even today. Children are still seen as something that negatively interfere with our lives. Parents still decide whether or not we're going to have children or when we're going to have children based on how children are going to fit into our lifestyle. I mean, one of the strongest and most influential social organizations in our culture right now is called Planned Parenthood. See, beneath our culture's desire to control family planning lies the same ancient low view of children as expensive, inconvenient, ultimately life interruptions. Our culture holds a similar low view of children and parenting, I would argue. The gospel addresses this low view of children. It also addresses our tendency to have a low view of parenting. And the gospel addresses our modern tendency toward the opposite. Because in the modern world, we either hold a low view of children and a low view of parenting, right? We see them as an interruption. Or we can swing the other way and we just straight up idolize children. And we idolize our parenting. It's strange. We don't want children until we feel they fit neatly into our lifestyles. And then once we have children, we face the very real danger of centering our life on them. We might idolize them, right? We might make them out to be an ultimate thing in our life. But we face the real danger of turning our kids into idols. Of looking to them for our ultimate happiness. And we know, as the Bible teaches, that all idols, all idols draw our heart away from God being above all and first in all. Idolizing our children or idolizing our parenting ultimately even crushes our kids. It places a weight on our children that they simply can't bear. I've seen this on the Little League field. Or, or more acutely, I saw it on the club baseball field and the club soccer fields. Parents vicariously living through their children and putting a burden or, or the academic burdens we put on our kids to get into the right school and to get the right kind of grades and to achieve the right kind of success in life. We ultimately run the risk of crushing our kids when we idolize them or we idolize our parenting and find our identity and their success. The good news is that the gospel changes and corrects our ideas about children and parenting. It exposes 
and addresses these wrong ideas. And in our text today, Paul gives some specific hope and specific direction for us. So our first point was that the gospel reveals our wrong ideas about parenting. Our second point is that the gospel transforms and shapes children. Look at verses one and two in Ephesians six. Paul says, children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord, for this is the right thing to do. Honor your father and your mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. If you honor your father and your mother, things will go well for you and you will have a long life on this earth. So in this passage, we see a general principle and an application of this principle. The principle corrects both the traditional and our modern views on children and parenting. It's something that the early church needed to hear at a time when they undervalued children. And I believe this is something that the modern church, we need to hear as we both undervalue and overvalue our children. So what is the underlying principle? Well, it's the fifth commandment that was handed to Moses on Mount Sinai back in the Old Testament. Simply honor your father and your mother. Well, what does honor mean? What does he mean by that? Uh, the great theologian John Calvin said that honor involves three things. It involves reverence, obedience, and gratitude. The reverence is a, a bit of an antiquated term for us, but he simply means that we honor our parents. In order to honor our parents, we must first respect them with our hearts. And then from that heart of respect, obedience and gratitude can flow. That, that's what honoring meant to John Calvin. But honoring our parents also means something even more practical for all of us, that we would support them in practical ways, even perhaps financially. We see this through, all throughout scripture, but specifically the apostle Paul puts a fine point on it when he writes to a young pastor named Timothy. In 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 4, we see him say, if a widow has children or grandchildren, these should learn, first of all, to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family and so repaying their parents and grandparents for this is pleasing to God. Anyone who does not provide for their relatives and especially for their own household has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Now that is some strong language there. Paul's not leaving a lot of room uh, for this to be an optional thing. We have clearly a responsibility to care for our parents in some practical ways. That might mean caring for them financially. It might mean caring for them with housing, with healthcare, with emotional support. What, whatever it is, we honor our parents and our family as an application of the gospel, Paul is saying. And this obedience, this honoring our parents is gonna look different depending on the season of life, depending on our age. For young children still at home, this really does mean to listen to and follow your parents' instruction. But as we grow and we leave the home and we form a home of our own, it means to honor, we honor our parents. We see this change all the way back in the book of Genesis, where it says that, that you will leave your father and your mother and you will cleave to your wife. There's a separation, there's a leaving, there's a change in the way that we relate with our parents. And so as an adult, obedience means more an attitude of general humility. We faithfully listen to and respect and honor wisdom, but we don't obey them in the same way that a young child would. If you're an independent adult, and especially if you're married, you, and you have left and you have, you're now cleaving to your wife, and, and there's a parent that's between you and your wife, they, they don't belong there, okay? They need to go and you cleave to your wife. And then the two of you honor your parents. We discover 
this honor as we cleave to one another. Single people, you discover this honor as, as you respect and allow humility, as you allow the gospel to change your heart. And this is all a challenge to both the ancient and modern views of family. The first century view is that you would obey your father because he had all the rights and you had no choice, right? Paul rejects this. And he says that we obey and honor our parents, not because they deserve it, but because it pleases the Lord. It's an act of worship. Obedience to parents is honoring them. And as we honor our parents, we're obeying God. And as we obey God, this is the flow of our passage. He says, you will be blessed. You, you will have the blessings of God. But this text also challenges modern views of family. Our culture teaches that children not to submit, right? To challenge authority. That kids should challenge and push back against stifling morals and, and ideas. And Paul says that both the traditional and the modern view is wrong. That children are to honor their parents as a part of their duty to the Lord. It means obeying when you're young. And even when you're older, it means showing respect and appreciation for your parents, looking after your parents. And so as an adult, as an adult child, honoring my parents, honoring my parents can be costly. It can be costly in two ways. First and foremost, we need to address the elephant in the parking lot here, right? Some of us, some of us had parents that weren't that great. Some of us had parents maybe that, that caused at least as much harm as they did good. Some of you are still in your adult life working through some of the pain and some of the trauma and some of the drama of having been raised by an imperfect or even a bad parent in your life. And it is hard for you to think about ways that you're going to honor them somehow. You see how this, this command you see how this idea is a uniquely gospel idea because without being changed by the love of God and forgiven by the love of God and being filled by the grace of God, there's no way we can honor someone who has hurt us and left us broken in our childhood. The gospel is required to honor our parents. But it's also costly in a second way because it straight up takes time and money. I think a main justification for many of us for not investing and honoring our parents is that we're busy, finances are tight, right? We have, I have my own family uh, to worry about, but notice in our text that the gospel does not prioritize my family versus my parents' family. The first command with a blessing Paul is, is pointing out here is to not neglect my mom and dad, not in childhood or as an adult, I hope my kids are listening because I'm not getting any older here. We're to honor our parents. And here's the main point that sets this gospel-transformed kingdom family apart. What gives children the desire to honor imperfect parents? What gives children the desire to care for them, even at great cost? The gospel, the love of God, the undeserved gift of salvation and transformation, and power for this life. The gospel changes us. The gospel gives us the selflessness, gives us the ability to forgive. The gospel lifts us out of our own selfishness. As some of you are like, come on, Billy, when are you going to get to the part where you give me the magic code that makes my little kids obey me? I just want to know how to make my kids obey me, right? How do we instill this obedience in our young kids? 
the American novelist and playwright. He was a racial activist also in the 50s and 60s. His name was James Baldwin. He said that children may struggle to listen to their parents, right, which we all understand. Children may struggle to listen to their parents, but they have never failed to imitate their behavior. That is a zinger right there. Baldwin addresses this concept of a child's obedience, but he does it through the lens of a parent's willingness to live out the behavior that we expect from our own children. And this is exactly where Paul goes in his next breath in our passage. Paul's not done here. The next thing is he addresses parents, right? The gospel first reveals our wrong ideas about children and about parenting. Then the gospel transforms and shapes us as children. And next we see that the gospel transforms and shapes parents. Let's read chapter, uh, verse four, Ephesians 6, verse four. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with the discipline and the instruction that comes from the Lord. I mean, Paul just jumps right in and he hits probably the most sensitive nerve in every parent. Now, notice here that Paul is not calling us to account for the behavior of our children. He's not saying that, that, you know, you're a bad parent because your children behave badly. No, he calls us to account for our own behavior in parenting. Ouch. And, and then he puts a fine point on it. He says we tend to go wrong in two different ways. We're either too strict or we're too lenient. Some parents are too strict. And Paul addresses this in the first phrase. He says, fathers, do not exasperate your children. It's significant, first and foremost, that he's even addressing fathers in, in the thing on parenting in the first century, right? This would have been a revolutionary idea that the fathers would take responsibility for the morality and, and the raising of their children, the character of their children. That was a woman's work. That was a nanny's work. That was a private school's work. And here Paul is saying, fathers, calling them out in this letter. Sadly, I think it's a theme in our culture today. Some people hold the same perspective on a father's involvement in parenting. Don't let anyone tell you that parenting is a mother's job. Paul exhorts fathers first in this parenting passage. And Paul is correcting a mistake that I believe is common in all parenting, but especially with fathers, this idea that parenting can be so strict that children are exasperated or they're crushed by demands. Jesus doesn't call us to that kind of a relationship, not in any of our relationships, not in parenting, not in our parent-child relationships with our parents or with our children or with our friends or with our spouse. The gospel creates an atmosphere of grace in which our kids are allowed to flourish. Benjamin West lived in the 1700s and he was this incredible American painter and he was totally self-taught. And as an adult, he told the story uh, of how he became a painter. And he said one day when he was young, when he was like 12, uh, he was left in charge of his younger sister, Sally. His mom had gone into town for something. And as soon as she left, he goes and he finds the ink and he finds the paint and he sits Sally down and he starts to paint her, paint a picture of her, not paint her, okay? (laughs) He loses track of time. Mom comes home, and you can only imagine the mess that a 12-year-old would leave with paint and ink as he's sitting there painting away. Mom walks in the door, walks right through all of the mess, right through all of the drama, 
walks straight to the canvas, picks it up, looks at it, and she's like, my gosh, you've drawn Sally. You've, you've created a portrait of your sister. And she puts it down, and she gives him a kiss on his head. Benjamin West said this as an adult. He said, my mother's kiss in the midst of my mess is what made me a painter. Man, that is convicting if you're a parent of teenagers. And I have to ask, I have to ask, is there an artist in our homes who will never pick up a brush and discover the gift and the joy of painting because of a short temper or because of heavy-handed demands? Is there a writer in our homes that will never pick up a pen and sit with a paper blank, maybe for an hour, just dreaming of what could be, dreaming of the possibilities because the heavy hand and the critical words of a parent say, don't waste your time. What are you doing? Your handwriting is crummy. Paul says, don't err by being too strict. Don't exasperate your children. It is a good and timely word for us parents. But then he confronts the other way that parents go wrong by being too lenient. He says to bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. He's referring to discipline, the disciplines of the Lord. And he's saying not to err by not being disciplined in our approach to the spiritual formation of our children. He's already said, don't be so harsh. But now he's saying, then don't just let your kids do whatever they want. Don't let your kids just go through life thinking whatever they want, not, not having any guardrails on their life, not forming any character within a biblical worldview. My wife, Jaray, and I experienced this. We have three teenagers at home right now, okay? The emotions, the drama, the teasing, uh, the, the pushback, right? And it's our role as parents to keep guardrails on our teens. They can't be allowed to rip one another apart. They can't be allowed to endlessly argue with us or one another. They can't be allowed to just go endlessly surf all day and never do their schoolwork as my son could argue and argue about all day long. See, without healthy guardrails, our teens would race off the road and end up a fiery wreck. And so Paul exhorts us to discipline. But it's not just like a, hey, be a heavy hand and kind of smack them back into bounds. He says, bring them up with the discipline and the instruction that comes from the Lord. What does that mean? I mean, a lot of us want our kids to be brought up that way. A lot of our kids, uh, us want our kids to know the Lord. That's why we had to buy so many stinking picnic tables because you guys are bringing your kids to church. That's why we have between 40 and 50 junior hires and high schoolers on Wednesday and Thursday night. We want our kids to know about the Lord. But Paul says that the primary responsibility for bringing our kids up in the Lord, that responsibility rests with the parents. This work is primarily a work that is done at home. It's the parent's job to instruct children in the way of the Lord. A friend of mine is a pastor. He's been a pastor for many years, but he started off a youth pastor. And he was a youth pastor for about 10 years. And I remember he used to be, he, he was so frustrated because parents would call him and they'd be like, look, my 17-year-old, uh, just he, he, he's going crazy right now. You need to fix him. I don't know what's wrong with them. I brought them to youth group every week. I brought them to church every Sunday. What the heck is wrong with them? Now, these are great parents, right? These are parents that went the extra mile. They played club baseball or club soccer. They, they were in the right activities. They got to do all this cool stuff. They, they got good grades. They, they were exhorted to get good grades because they wanted to go to the right school and they started that process early. These were not negligent parents. But for years, these parents had not been teaching that the highest value in the child's life is their pursuit of the Lord. 
spiritual formation kind of fits somewhere down in that list of those other really good things that they were good at teaching, getting good grades, playing on the right team. These things were practically held at the same level as their spiritual growth. And so my friend was frustrated because these parents have been instructing their children, but not necessarily in the way of the Lord. Paul says, that's your job. Dads, that's our job. Moms, you too, that's, that's your job to instruct them in the Lord. This means making the Lord a priority in our schedules, making the Lord a priority in our home. And our kids are gonna know whether our faith is genuine or not. They know what you're excited about. They know what you spend your time doing. I've been really convicted of that this year in my own home. I know my kids are way more likely to be excited about the Lord if I'm excited about the Lord and bringing them into that activity that I'm excited about. I've learned in now 10, 11 years of ministry that there are many families that don't take the time to read the Bible as a family, to pray as a family, and to worship as a family, even with their young children. It's, it's, it's just not something that's a part of our culture with many families. But I've also learned in now my many years of being a parent that that is really, really hard to do. It is hard to do that. So if you're sitting there feeling guilty right now, no, I, I understand your pain. I experience it as well. It is hard to wake up early. It is hard to get into the word myself and to prepare my heart. It is hard to then share that with my kids in a way that engages them with the heart of God and praying together. It's hard work. But it's more important than anything in life. It's gotta be a priority. And Paul says that the gospel changes family. The word of God and the pursuit of God and the love of God is what changes our family. And maybe today you've been challenged by, by this passage, by some of the things that I've shared. Maybe you've been challenged as a child, even as a grown child, to obey if you're young or honor if you're older, to honor your parents. Or maybe you've been challenged as a parent yourself. Maybe you're too harsh or you're too lenient. Or maybe you're like me. You're like, one day you're harsh and then that afternoon you're lenient, right? Like just flipping back and forth. It's so convicting for me. Or maybe you're convicted about not teaching your kids about the Lord. You've been neglecting meeting together as a family around his word on a regular basis. Listen, some of us might have to go out of here today and repent and make some specific changes in our life. And I hope that happens. That is a good thing. That's all good stuff, but this morning I would fail in preaching this text if I did not bring us back to the gospel. The gospel is the good news that although we all had imperfect fathers, and many of us are imperfect fathers and mothers, that we have a heavenly father who has made provision for our greatest needs through what Jesus has done for us. The, go the gospel rescues us even in our parenting. The gospel rescues us even in our honoring of our parents. You might feel ill-equipped. You might feel unprepared for this. Maybe you're one of those parents like me that has a bad track record and you feel like you failed in so many ways. Listen, there's grace for that. Maybe you had parents who failed you. Maybe you're a single parent today or maybe you're a spiritually single parent. There's a spouse in the home, but they're not partnering with you or they're not joining with you in the spiritual formation of your children. Listen, there's grace for you in your parenting. You single parent or you spiritually single parent. Our heavenly father has given you everything you need 
to both heal from your brokenness and to heal from your parents' brokenness. And he gives us everything we need in Jesus to honor our parents and to parent our children well. And well-parented kids don't necessarily become great parents, but anyone who has received the love of God in Jesus, who any one of us who's being transformed by the love of God, if that's you, you have everything you need in Jesus. Today, we lift our eyes from our own inadequacies. We take our eyes off of our parents' inadequacies. And we fix our eyes on the perfection of Jesus. The power of the gospel can reverse our wrong ideas and our wrong priorities. I want to invite our worship leader, Mark, up. In church this morning, if, if you're in a place of conviction today, if you're feeling like, man, I, I know that the Lord is calling me to respond today. Maybe you need help as a parent. Maybe you need help as, as an adult child uh, knowing how to honor your parents. Or maybe you need help in, in growing through and, and healing from some of the brokenness from your own childhood. I want to ask you, if you're a child who's, who's looking to be a better child and honoring your parent, or a parent who's looking to, to better reflect the love of God on your parent, to stand with me now. We're going we're gonna to pray together. to God acknowledging that as a child and as a parent our greatest need is for God to pour out his love and his power on us for these things Father God we come before you now as as people who desperately need your direction, as people who desperately need your love for each moment of the day. We ask you now, God, for that beautiful gift of the gospel, the the forgiveness of sins, the washing. Lord, some of us today feel like we need to be forgiven. We we know we need to be forgiven. We know we need to be washed clean. We've, We've engaged as children with our parents, or we've engaged as parents with our children in a manner, God, that that necessitates forgiveness. God, we need to be made right. We need to be restored. We ask you, God, today to restore ourselves. Lord, pour out your love on us. Help us to love well, to honor our parents, to lead our children to love our children with the love of God. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated if you'd like to. We're going to respond in worship, declaring together with our mouths, our voices, and even the way we posture our bodies as we lift our hands or or dance or however you respond in worship to the Lord. We're going to collectively join in with one voice and worship, put ourselves in a right place before God and declare who he is together. 
And today as we do that, it might feel awkward for someone here who, who maybe doesn't know God. And in this season of harvest, um, the Lord's made it very clear that there, there are people that come to church but don't have a relationship, don't have an active relationship with God. And if that's you this morning, I want to encourage you and challenge you to take that step. Dom's been talking about that there's a, a like a line on the ground and some of us live on this side of that line where it feels safe, where it feels like we're not stepping away from things in our life that we're afraid of losing. And today the Lord might be calling you to say, you know what, I'm done living on this side of the line. I'm done living without power and purpose in my life. I want to step over that line. I want to follow Jesus. I want to leave behind the things that, that hold me here. And I want to move forward in love and in power. And if that's you this morning, if the Lord is calling you to a new life in Jesus and a new identity in Jesus and a new purpose in Jesus, I want to ask you to join those who are standing and stand with us this morning. Wherever you've come from today, our greatest need is Jesus. As a church, we've been praying for you. As a church, we've been praying for our community. And this morning now, as we gather, as we rally around the love of God, as we rally around the person of Jesus, let's sing with one voice. Let's declare with one voice the truth about who God is. Before we do that, we're gonna, we're gonna pray again. And if this is your first time praying a prayer of faith, receiving a gift from God, the gift of salvation from God, I encourage you to pray along with me. Christians, I encourage you to pray along with me too. Let's pray, Father, recognize my need for Jesus today. I recognize my need for a Savior. Father, please forgive me for turning away from you. Forgive me for my sin. Today, I put my faith, my hope, and my trust in Jesus. Thank you, God, for loving me. Help me, Father God, to follow you. Help me, Father God, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Help me to walk, to take that step over that line and to walk in the new life that you're calling me to in Jesus. Pray these things in his name. Amen. The prayer team is available. They've got green shirts and that large prayer team signs back on the sides. The communion elements, if you're a Christian, go over these little tables on either side. You can grab your communion elements and have communion. If you're online, I want to encourage you, if you need prayer or if you prayed that prayer for salvation today, click the Connect with God link. We would love to pray for you pray with you. We would love to, to meet with you if you'd like to set something like that up. All of that is available on the Connect with God link. But church, as we respond now, let's respond with our hearts, these things that the Lord is doing. Let's allow the Holy Spirit to move us into the right posture of worship.